Before his fight, Vander Holyfield, noted philosopher and former heavyweight bank boxing champion, Mike Tyson was asked what his fight plan was, to which he responded, everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. What he was most eloquently saying was that some things are crushed by the realities of a contest. Others have said things similar such as, few plans survive first contact with the enemy. This doesn't mean that not to have a plan, but rather the plan needs to be developed beforehand, is strengthened by habits, applied appropriately based on reality rather than some envisioned potential future. God has made no secret of a winning hand in life. However, the interplay between happiness and holiness is often misunderstood uh, by outsiders, but a lot of times by Christians too. Scripture is clear in its mandate for a holy life, but what is often missed is how this is inextricably intertwined with happiness. Let's start with a few scriptures on how happiness is viewed. Proverbs 16 and 20. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Psalms 144 and 15. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Nehemiah 8 and 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, joy and happiness are a byproduct of holiness. I was reading this article in The Atlantic by uh, Arthur C. Brooks. It has this equation for a happy life. And I thought to myself, you know, this guy's really, really close. So uh, let's look at, you know, the first equation that he had up there. Uh, Well-being or happiness equals genes plus circumstances plus habits. Now, as we pull this apart a little bit, we understand that uh, uh, genetics certainly play a role in our ability to be uh, happy, and in some, some cases, almost 50%, but it still leaves 50% to play around with. Circumstances can feature significantly, but most experts contend that even if they do, the effects are fleeting. Imagine you get a huge raise at work, and you think, that will make me happy. But the typical situation is that if you weren't happy before, then it won't be long till you're not happy afterwards. It's the reason why money does not buy happiness because we get used to having it so very, very quickly. This leaves habits, which turns out to be the one factor we are in the most control. Some people treat habits like gambling where they are victims of chance and have little influence on the game's outcome. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Some people get stinky cards. Other people get great cards. There's some of us that have these stinky cards. Perhaps we have ADHD or uh, anger management issues. Perhaps we're alcoholics or have terrible family situations or continually financially challenged. Others of us have great hands to start with. Rugged good looks, dizzying intellect, incredible physiques. It's not easy for us either. But you see, it turns out that according to the research, happiness is not a game of Texas Hold'em where you get your good or lousy cards and then the dealer throws down some more cards and you're left with ever, whatever consequences uh, bring you. You can play it that way or you can choose the cards that will affect the final outcome of your life equation. You get to choose your habits. Thomas Aquinas, 
Aquinas said that traditional happiness of paths of money, power, pleasure, honor, are merely poor God substitutes for what is holy. They compromise and underdeliver uh, in terms of happiness. They overpromise and underdeliver in terms of happiness. And those that they do provide happiness tend to be vacuous shells that inflict hardship on those around them. According to the research, and not too far from Scripture, happiness is linked to elements that do not compare themselves to other people. That brings us to our second equation. Habits are combined of faith, family, friends, and work. After decades of uh, study, social uh, science determined that happiness is a product of these elements and not so much of the ones that were formerly mentioned. Maybe they're a little bit late, but I think they are finally getting where Christians have known for centuries. Indeed, uh, it seems like they have been over backwards to ignore it. May, uh, some of you may know uh, Abraham Maslow. He established a hierarchy of human needs that permeates many textbooks and seminars, web blogs, uh, web posts, all sorts of things. And he created these needs. And, and what he said is the basic needs are physical needs, and then you have safety needs, and then you had belongingness and love, and then you had self-esteem, and then the granddaddy of them all, self-actualization. Being all that you can be. There seems to be some agreement in, uh, among many is that these are the needs that human beings have. But what isn't in most textbooks is that Maslow came back and said, that's not right. There's even a higher need than oneself. He said there's a spiritual need, a transcendent need that is higher than everything but being about me. Ironically, the more recent determination is rarely seen in print. It's, I don't know if it's either ignored or overlooked. And that's despite that Maslow is the one that came up with that determination. Of course, we know this transcendent need, this spiritual need as faith. See, work may seem to be out of place on this list. And we'll come back to that. But time and time again, we hear it is family and friends that promote real happiness. However, that doesn't seem right either. Suppose you have an interesting family that does not elicit happiness but promotes pain in your life. Similarly, a portrayal of a close friend can have, uh, give you scars which you never recover. The Bible never says to pursue happiness, but rather holiness. In 1 Peter 1, 13 and 16, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am am holy. So while it's clear that happiness and holiness are not the uh, same thing, neither do they compete. The secret about happiness is that it's not the end goal, but it's a byproduct of holiness. A worldly perspective tries to brawl its way to happiness when it's holiness habits that produce real joy and well-being. 
Holiness habits need some clarity if they're to be engaged in productively. Let's apply the holiness perspective to the happiness categories mentioned earlier. You see, holiness in God always starts with faith. Reading from Hebrews 11, uh, 6, it states that, And without his faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Of course, we're not talking about a dead faith that is a placebo that comforts us while we're not doing anything. James uh, 2, 26 is very clear. For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. A scriptural faith is an active faith that compels people so inclined to do things and promote holiness. The holiness family habit that God has set up is, is not a chance occurrence. Probably you've heard the saying, you get to pick your friends, but not your family. Nothing could be more untrue. Jesus makes it abundantly clear in Matthew 12, and uh, we'll start reading in verse 46. While he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus was not saying that these were not his family, but rather his true family is his spiritual family. If you're fortunate enough for your blood family to be part of your spiritual family, more's the better. But the point here is, we get to choose our family. When we talk about friendships, we're talking about holy friendships that go way beyond the friendships that are defined by mere numbers or maybe chance acquaintances. Proverbs 18 and 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27 and 6 goes even further in saying that wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. What is being said there is that your true friends have your best interest at heart, whether it's beneficial to you in the short term or not. If you were in our Wednesday night class, we had uh, uh, this warrior series on friendship, and, and, and we uh, explored it a number of ways. And we settled on this, this definition that I think has some meaning. A friend is someone that wants my best interest and is loyal to God. Because whether I like it or not, I really find it hard to believe that someone wants my best interests if they're not loyal to God. That brings us to godly work. Godly work goes beyond activities that are designed to benefit ourselves or just are mandated by others. Work is actually great when it's done appropriately. Reading from Proverbs uh, 30 in, in verse 8. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or say that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Not so much. I don't want to work so much that I have so much that I forget God. I don't want to work so little 
that I would do something wrong or take from other people. There's this balance in work that helps me to be holy. Work is to be done for the promotion of holiness, not just for self-promotion. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, it says, uh, starting with verse 11, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I'm not even going to talk about the mind your own business part other than to say, mind your own business. But, but this idea of godly work is so much better than things being about us. It actually promotes God's kingdom. You see, God calls us to be holy. And happiness is a symptom of holiness. It's not the end of itself. The world as we know it has a very uh, uh, difficult time getting their, their, their head just wrapped around uh, this. James was fear, uh, very clear in that happiness is a result of holiness habits. In this uh, sermon on the, uh, Jesus was very clear that, that happiness is a result of holiness habits. In the Sermon on the Mount, it starts out with the Beatitudes. And some think that happy is a better translation than blessed. Regardless, both have well-being at their core. And we read the, uh, the Beatitudes with this in mind. I think it kind of illuminates some things for us. We're going to uh, be in uh, Matthew 5 uh, and starting in verse 3. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. These are not talking about if I'm low in spirit, but rather if I'm humbled. If I know what my own shortcomings are, then I'm in a better position of being happy than if I'm just trying to get things to satisfy myself. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It doesn't say happy are the weak, but happy are the meek, which is strength under control. I could do things, but I choose not to. In verse 6, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my count. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes do not have happiness as an end product, but rather a byproduct of holiness. A worldly choice is a false pursuit that rarely produces happiness or holiness. It's sometimes akin to leaving the cards uh, uh, you get in life totally up to chance rather than choosing the best cards that you can have in your hand. Now, you can do that, but the other choice is a genuine option worth pursuing where I get to choose to be holy in my faith. I get to choose 
to be holy in my family. I get to choose to be holy in my friends, and I get to choose to be holy in my work, with the result being holiness and joy. Mike Tyson was a brawler whose plan was to wildly throw punches, hoping to devastate his opponent. Hollyfield knew he was engaging such a maelstrom of an opponent and would need a plan developed beforehand, strengthened by habits, and applied appropriately based on the reality of the fight. Some of you know that despite having his ear bitten off in the contest and being a 15 to 1 underdog, Hollyfield emerged the victor in the 11th round by technical knockout. See, you get to choose. What research has discovered, but scripture has long explained, is that the life uh, hacks of money, power, pleasure, honor, typically do not bring happiness and certainly by themselves do not promote holiness. However, holy disciplines, such as engaging in work that is not by itself self-centered or developing a genuine faith, or surrounding myself by my godly family, or creating real friendships from people that are loyal to God, are necessary to cultivate habits that help me to be more holy, but also have the byproduct of being happy. Perhaps you've decided tonight, and you're, you're thinking about things, I need to realign myself with the realities of, of the real contest as opposed to leaving life to chance. And so I need to have real joy in, in life. And perhaps you're saying, now is the time. You get to choose. You can do that by putting Christ on in baptism. You can do that by realigning yourselves and putting things right and saying, I will make a stand this evening, no longer being tossed about by the winds of the world and the wind of the torrents of my own sin. If we can help you in any way, won't you come as we sing as the song that's been selected?